You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey, everybody, it's Erin Carey, and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Mary Claire Haver. She is board certified in obstetrics and gynecology and is certified culinary medicine specialist from Tulane University. She is Louisiana State University Medical Center graduate, go Tigers, and completed her obstetrics and gynecology residency at the University of Texas Medical Branch. Dr. Haver was a clinical professor at UTMB and the University of Texas Health Science Center at Houston. Dr. Haver has served as a hospitalist, associate residency director, and assistant professor in her career. In 2021, she opened Mary Claire Wellness, a clinic dedicated to caring for the menopausal patient. Dr. Haver has amassed over 3 million followers across social media by posting advice for women going through menopause. She understands that menopause healthcare is in dire need of change. I totally agree and is proud to be leading the conversation. Her educational background and her own experience led Dr. Haver to develop the national best-selling book and online program, The Galveston Diet, a three-pronged lifestyle plan that encourages to refocus anti-inflammatory nutrition to manage hormonal symptoms, stabilize weight and revitalize the body as it ages to provide benefits that will last a lifetime. Dr. Haver is now working on her second book, The New Menopause, which will be releasing in spring of 2024. So Dr. Haver, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having me. I am definitely, this is, I'll just say, So many listeners have been requesting a perimenopause menopause podcast, specifically as it relates to hormone therapy. And do I do it? Is it safe? Can I do it? So before we get into any of that, I would love to know, there's a lot of conversation about when perimenopausal symptoms actually start and there's a lot of back and forth. So where do you say it starts? Sure. So we have to, let's start with menopause and then we can work our way backwards. So menopause is one day in your life. And I think there's a lot of confusion around terminology. We have pre-menopausal, which is hormones are fine, living your best life, ovulating every month. Great. Then we have perimenopause, which is the time period when the dysfunction begins Menopause is one day after your last menstrual period, which signifies the loss of all of your eggs and the end of ovarian production of hormones. And then everything after that until you die is postmenopause. So menopausal is from peri, meno, post. When I say menopausal, I'm talking about that entire time span, which is about a third of your life. (laughs) So The average age of menopause, so one year after your last menstrual period, is about age 51 for Caucasian women in the United States. It's a little bit earlier for women of color and Asian women, it's a little bit later, but somewhere around the age of 51. Perimenopause, again, the beginning of the decline, the noticeable decline of ovarian function begins seven to 10 years before that. Mm. So menopausal symptoms can start as early as your mid thirties to mid forties. So normal menopause is still another big range because it's not just genetics that plays into when we go through menopause, there's big environmental things that are there as well. And that's not even including surgical menopause and then menopause from chemotherapy, you know, like iatrogenic menopause. Hmm. So 45 to 55, it's a pretty big window 
is still considered the normal ages of menopause. So let's do the math, back that up seven to 10 years. So you can see a woman in her mid to late thirties, it's very reasonable for her to start experiencing symptomatic changes associated with decline of her, her ovarian function. So, okay, that brings up a whole other set of questions for me because I know a lot of women say, okay, say this woman is 38 years old, goes to get her annual exam, is explaining all these symptoms she's experiencing. I think I might be in perimenopause, what's going on? But her OBGYN says, oh, no, 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 you're too young for that. That's not going to start. What is, what's that about? So that is a lack of training and education. And that is a lack of focus on menopause. When I, so I trained, I did medical school from 94 to 98. And then I did my OBGYN residency from 98 to 2002. After that point, I, beginning of 2005, I was an academic professor and I was in charge of education. So I knew the curriculum, what was required to be taught, what the clinics were. And so I am not, you know, not to throw an individual practitioner under the bus because this is what they were taught. Over half of what we spent our time on in the OBGYN residency was obstetrics, Okay. Another, you know, then everything else that's not about having babies, including getting pregnant is Mm. gynecology. So a big chunk of gynecology is just getting pregnant and miscarriages. Okay. The fertility aspect. Then you have oncology. I mean, we spend, we spend weeks and weeks and weeks learning about ovarian cancer, cervical cancer, uterine cancer, you know, and, and a little bit in breast cancer. And so then we have pediatric gynecology, another important, like, like these mm-hmm. young girls who are having gynecologic issues as children, like, how do we deal with that? Menopause literally gets the end of the stick. It is, you get, it's a sliver of time, a, that's full menopause. It's like, well, give her hormones. I mean, the tri- back in the day, the, the Women's Health Initiative, which just destroyed women's health as far as menopause care, that's the study that came out and everyone thought that it meant that you can't take hormones or you'll get breast cancer. That's totally been misjudged and misproven. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a shot heard around the world. And that was the last year of my training. So my entire generation from me on really has little to no experience in like hormone replacement therapy, mm-hmm. It's considered dangerous. People aren't keeping up with the latest studies and you kind of get stuck in time sometimes on when you finished your training. So then we have something called CME, continuing medical education. It's how a physician is meant to keep up with what's the latest, you know, things coming out. There was almost never anything to do with menopause and perimenopause was Mm. like, we knew it was a thing, but there were no like clinics to treat, diagnose, no, no lectures on on the nuances and how to help a woman through this process. Like the first time I'd ever heard of treating a woman for her perimenopause was I happened to have a part, a partner, a professor who had a vested personal interest because I think his wife, and he would like pull me aside in the hallway between patients and tell me how he was treating this woman. I was just fascinated that, that, Mm. you know, this wasn't taught to me in school or training. And so part of the problem, and now let's layer on what society thinks of aging you know, how medicine in general treats a female, you know, the, the gaslighting that it's all in her head. That if you can't mm-hmm. figure it out as a healthcare provider, it's probably psychological men don't, you know, males don't have that. 
you know, same phenomena. So if you layer all of those reasons up and there's more, it's just working everything against our favor. And my passion now is bringing that to light and working on solutions. I can't, you know, this is a big shift we've got to course correct. And it's going to take me and you and your followers, your listeners, every physician, everybody getting on board with us and realizing we have a problem. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, the way you explain how menopause gets maybe a sliver of education, I would guess that nutrition during menopause and perimenopause gets like nothing, right? We had no nutrition lectures in medical school. Now, again, I went 30 years ago and nothing, zero. Mm -hmm. And then in residency, other than like, here is a diet, like some Xerox sheets of paper, which were still like in the purple, you know, in the old, in the old Xerox, like so old, that they've been photocopied so many times you can barely get. <laughs> this is what I handed to a patient as a nutrition plan, a one size fits all for every gestational mm. diabetic. That is the only time other than someone who had to be on TPN, total parental nutrition, you know, because they couldn't eat and we had to mm. feed them through their vein. And we'd have, a you know, the registered dietitians who were working in the pharmacy to come down and help with all of that. I mean, outside of that, nothing, nothing. nothing. Yeah. We learned those extreme things like scurvy, you know, severe vitamin C deficiencies to, you know, that, you know, rickets and, but nothing about basic nutrition and how to stay healthy, making sure you're hitting all your micronutrients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so important to be talking about this. And so I want to take a second and pause and thank our sponsor for today's episode. Today's episode is sponsored by KiwiCo. You know, as we are talking about hormones and healthy aging, well, I know for me, as my kids get older, I love engaging with them in new ways. And it's truly nourishing for my soul to be able to see them engaging in activities that help them to explore their creativity and learn new things. Well, KiwiCo is defining the future of play by making it engaging, enriching, and seriously fun. With KiwiCo, my kids are able to create super cool hands-on projects designed to create a lifelong love for learning. Each month, KiwiCo delivers crates packed with fun and sparks creativity with kid-friendly topics and activities. These crates cover a ton of interesting topics and provide real hands-on skills for kids to explore. From engineering robots to learning about the science of cooking, I love that one, there is something for every kid and parents love it too. Discover subscription lines for kids of all ages, ranging from infants and preschoolers to teens and beyond. My two boys are nine and six, and my six-year-old got a project that is a mechanical sweeper. He was able to assemble it mostly on his own. I only needed to help him with a few things that required more fine motor skills than he has. And then my older boy put together a domino machine. They both were so thrilled by these projects that had them engaged for hours. They were focused, they were learning, we had a lot of fun together, and they are so much looking forward to their next crate. As a parent, especially as kids change seasons and stages and and I wanna keep up with them and keep up with their interests and what they enjoy, it can be really hard to find creative ways to keep these kids busy, challenged, and off of those screens. KiwiCo does the legwork for you so you can spend quality time tackling projects together. There truly is something for kids of all ages. There are, as I mentioned, there are cooking projects, robotics, art, things for all ages from infants to teens and adults. Do your part to encourage your children to be innovators and creative thinkers. They won't believe what they can build and accomplish with KiwiCo. Give them the tools to learn new skills, build new experiences, and make new connections to the broader world. The best part? 
watching their confidence grow as big as their smile. And I loved experiencing that for myself with my own kids. Redefine learning with play. Explore hands-on projects that build creative confidence and problem-solving skills with KiwiCo. Get 50% off your first month plus free shipping on any crate line at kiwico.com slash spark. That's 50% off your first month at kiwico.com slash spark. Now, Dr. Haver, getting back to our conversation, you know, for a long time, people were just like, oh, it's calories in, calories out, plus a little bit of exercise. That's the formula. But you're saying that for women's hormones, that might not be all that we need. There's a lot more people are on board with this now, but you know, the, the obesity medicine specialists, the people who are really focusing on the science of this and not the get rich quick scheme that a lot of, you know, influencers and, and different people there, it's so complex. The reason why a person is obese or overweight probably has little to do with making bad choices. Okay. Mm-hmm. It's a lot to do with environment, genetics, what's available, socioeconomics. It's this very, very complex interplay of factors and just putting the onus on that person, you know, and no, and you know, there was little understanding around leptin and ghrelin, the hormones mm-hmm. that can control hunger or weight, where estrogen deprivation feeds into this body composition changes. Like fat is fat is fat. I've heard that from a million fitness influencers. I'm like, okay, well, let's discuss the difference between visceral and abdominal fat. There is no, I'm like, okay you're not, you know, whatever weekend course you took to get your certification (laughs) is not keeping you up with the medical Mm -hmm. fact here. This Mm -hmm. is not my opinion. And so there's, it's just, you know, taking the guilt and the shame out of it, letting a woman realize that the number on the scale is not a great judge of her health. And that thin does not mean you're healthy. And, you know, and for, in my patients on my clinic, when we talk about that number on the scale, I'm like, listen, that's just one tool of many, many, many that we have at our disposal to, you know, the goal here is health. The goal here is for you to live as long and as healthy as possible, not to be plagued by disease or pain or, you know, broken bones or other issues. And you being thin is likely not going to serve you here. Let's Mm -hmm. look at nutrition as far as you functioning at the highest level possible for as long Mm -hmm. as possible. I that's love a very that. different conversation than calories in calories out. Absolutely. I love that. Now going back to the perimenopause conversation, because I want to talk more about nutrition because that's my favorite thing, but I do want to know, like, what are the symptoms that women should be looking out for that? Maybe they're told is, oh yeah, it's just normal getting older, but maybe it's a sign that there's something else going on. So, um, you know, when we look at the kind of the classically recognized symptoms of menopause and perimenopause and now perimenopause, so someone's menopausal journey, cycle irregularity is one of the most commonly known ones. You know, your periods will stop eventually, but they tend to become irregular um, before that happens. So you could have too many, too little, you know, you could skip, you could have two in a month, three in a month. It could be heavier. It could be lighter. Really any menstrual disruption is on the table. So realizing that, but actually by the time that happens, you are usually in late perimenopause. Okay. So menopause has been happening in the background. Maybe you weren't noticing it, or you couldn't quite put your finger on it, but there is not an organ system in our body. That is not, that doesn't have an estrogen receptor. And so let's start the brain. Okay. Increasing mental health disease, increasing ADHD, less signal processing, less cognitive function, brain fog in the form of, I can't remember where I put my keys. I get in the car. It's (laughs) short-term processing. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, aging does have something to do with it, but we see dramatic increases 
as we go through menopause. So aging, yes, some of these things happen just as we get older. It happens to males and females, but we see this things that estrogen protected us from heart disease, Alzheimer's, dementia, all of a sudden autoimmune diseases rapidly rise and estrogen was actually protective. We've lost our resilience. We're losing our resilience through the menopause transition without replacement to, and it replacement's not perfect to cardiovascular disease, coronary artery disease, to Alzheimer's, to dementia. And so, you know, when I'm having conversations with my patients around, when do we start hormone therapy? You know, do you have to be fully symptomatic? Do you have to go without a period? Actually, the studies are showing that in certain disease conditions start, especially in mental health and cardiovascular disease, starting in perimenopause mm. is more protective than starting in menopause. Okay. That is fascinating to me. So, you know, somebody's listening and going, Oh, well, my, both my grandparents had Alzheimer's both my, you know, I know that I'm at risk and I know that maybe my, maybe I've got some insulin resistance, you know, some things creeping up in that area, which of course we know is not good. So this estrogen connection is another puzzle piece that factors into that brain health later on. So right. that's something we all need to be getting on top of earlier than we thought. So for the brain and the heart, especially, it appears that estrogen is more powerful. Estrogen is, is better at preventing and mm. keeping cell healthy than it is at doing something positive once that disease process has started. So for coronary artery disease, by the time you have a plaque that is calcified, estrogen is not that helpful and it might be harmful. It has to do with nitric oxide and how that... Uh -huh that pathway works flip over to Alzheimer's. So women who there was a study that I think that came, it was Scandinavia. I think it was Norway and um, women who had the APOE, I think four gene that the Alzheimer gene who had happened to be treated in perimenopause, usually with a birth control pill, you know, for some other reason, but that basically they were treated in perimenopause. They measured their brain volume and cognitive function, and it was better and higher statistically than women who were not treated. And we know wow. that when start hormone therapy in perimenopause have a much lower risk of new onset depression in menopause. Wow. Okay. That's fascinating. So how, what are the pros and cons of hormone repla replacement therapy and how do you usually use it? So, um, the pros are it, you know, for sure will help with almost all of the symptoms with menopause, hot flashes, night sweats, sleep disruption, you know, anxiety, you know, and, and itchy skin, dry skin, gut changes, you know, like vertigo, um, frozen mm -hmm. shoulder. I mean, there's, um, mm -hmm. loss. this goes on and on and mm -hmm. on. All these subspecialties are coming out and going, Hey, we looked at our data too. And <laughs> like, you know, um, the gut microbiome, all of it. And so I, I talked to them in terms of that now hot flashes, night sweats, but protection of your bones and um, genital prevention of genital urinary or even treatment of, of recurrent genital urinary syndrome uh, of menopause, GSM, mm. is are what it's actually indicated for. So the, the major societies, ACOG, American College of OBGYN, and American, the uh, American Menopause, the uh, NAMS, North American Menopause Association, mm. both are saying this is what we recommend it for. Now, no one's come out yet and said, we recommend it for the protection of 
against coronary artery disease, the societies aren't yet. They need more studies because the older population, it actually may make those diseases worse, but they are acknowledging that when starting early, there does appear to be some protection. So those are the conversations that I have with my patients. Um, now, if, you know, how long do you stay on? Well, there's no longer an age at which you have to come off. That is a big okay. misconception. Even North American Menopause Society says, look, if she's 60, you know, we used to say everybody is 60. Well, if she's 60 and she's doing great and doesn't have any contraindications, keep her on it. She wants to stay on it. Hmm. So, so no longer an age at which you must come off. Wow. Okay. Develop a contraindication or you just decide you don't want to do it anymore. Is there somebody where you, you say, no, definitely they should not be doing that? So yes, if you have undiagnosed um, abnormal vaginal bleeding, you're not ready to start. We need to get that worked up and evaluated. If you have active breast cancer, you are not a candidate mm -hmm. until that gets treated and you're outside of your window. And then, then it's a case by case basis. If you have had a blood clot or a stroke, you know, a serious blood clot or a stroke, a deep blood clot, like a DVT or a pulmonary embolus or a stroke due to clots um, within the last six months, you are not a candidate. After mm -hmm. that point, again, case by case basis and different types of estrogen um, have higher risk for certain conditions than others. Yeah. So when you're talking about HRT, are you talking about just supporting estrogen or testosterone, so progesterone? Medically, the when we say HRT for a physician, okay, who is board certified in OBGYN, we are talking about estrogen support. Now, not to say there's not a place for testosterone, but that's a separate discussion because now I do prescribe testosterone for certain patients, not for mm -hmm. everyone. You know, there are great studies to support testosterone's use for hypoactive sexual desire disorder in a patient where other causes of sexual dysfunction have been ruled out. Blanketly giving everyone testosterone for low libido is a mistake and you might make it worse for her because now she feels even worse because it's already a horrible experience. It's affecting your relationships. You feel like a failure. And then now you're going to give her a medicine that's not indicated for her and tell her, oh, it'll be great. You'll be swinging from the chandeliers. And she does, she feels nothing because mm -hmm. you were, didn't, you know, you didn't screen her for the other causes of sexual dysfunction and just assumed it was, you know, desire when it wasn't that at all. Mm. You have to be careful. Now I'm using it off label. So I have a monitor in my office where I can measure visceral fat muscle mass. I have a body scanner. And so I, it's a really important tool for me. I rarely use weight or BMI to counsel patients or to, to judge their health. And so um, if someone has sarcopenia or really low muscle mass for their age, then I will have a discussion with them about utilizing testosterone as well as making sure they're getting enough protein and doing regular strength training mm -hmm. um, to help get that muscle up So as a protective measure. Now, Pete, there's a lot of claims about brain health and you know they're claiming everything under the sun, the BioT people, but you know it's hard for me to respect the research coming from there because they don't do randomized control studies versus placebo. They don't do kind of the gold standard studies and, um, and they're, oh, they're routinely overdosing their patients. It's just super mm -hmm. physiologic, like transitioning levels. So, mm -hmm. you know, a female physiologic level of testosterone at 25 at its highest level, when you were normal functioning, had your best libido ever was probably 45 to 70, 70 is kind of high normal above 90. We're trained to look for tumors. Yeah. If someone's natural testosterone level is that high. And I can't tell you how many 
you know, people coming off of pellets come to see me BioT, mm-hmm. and they've got levels in the two and three hundreds months and months mm-hmm. after the pellet, like God knows what those levels were. Yeah. For. And it just seems like there's this massive super physiologic dosing overdosing going on in the community without any evidence to support it. Yeah, that's been a big concern of mine as well, because I know that that is becoming more and more popular. But when we're talking about testosterone, that affects so many of the other hormones as well. So just shooting somebody up with testosterone. So, and they're so, I'm what women don't realize is that testosterone is converted in our fat cells um, in the periphery to estradiol. And so I've had patients who are like my estradiol, you know, they're, they're like frustrated because their estradiol level, they keep going, getting all these levels and checked and they're on, they're cooking all this stuff. And it's because they're converting their testosterone in the periphery to estradiol. And they can't figure wow. out why they're running a testosterone, an estradiol level as if they were pregnant with triplets. And I'm wow. like, Listen, you don't need all these hormones. You need some hormones, but come on, you know, yeah. like they're either dosing you to a man's level you know, or they're Mm -hmm. having you pregnant with five fetuses, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I don't know who, who started that, but that, that can't be healthy. (laughs) Yeah. That's a concern. Oh my goodness. Okay. So with that, you know, we were kind of touching on diet a little bit before, is that a way can diet can nutrition, can that help to decrease the severity of symptoms? Yes. For sure. We know that studies have been done looking at dietary patterns and severity of symptoms. So, and women who tend to eat now, everybody wants a magic pill. Everybody wants (laughs) this one thing. I just want to keep doing what I'm doing, but take one pill and then I'm fixed. Right. But they looked at patterns and it's not that one meal or that one burger or that one, you know, candy bar. It's women who consistently do things on a consistent basis where we see this. So women who consistently have diets, that are high in natural forms of soy, Mm. as well as more Mediterranean-like, have lower hot flashes. And if you're a super flasher, meaning your hot flashes are so severe that they are like severely disrupting your sleep, severely disrupting your life, you are at higher risk for cardiovascular disease and stroke and diabetes. Yeah. And so, you know, there's a direct correlative to the severity of the common symptoms Mm to the long-term health risks. And so that's even more of a drive to get you to go and get, you know, consider hormone therapy. But, you know, when a patient comes to me, I talk about the menopause toolkit. And so, um, you know, hormones will go a long way, but it's not everything. If you want your best health ever, we have to look at this, the pillars of, of health as we get older. And Peter Atia talks about this. He said mm-hmm. it been saying this for two years, but okay. Um, you know, and those, these are things we're not really taught much about in medical school nutrition. I went back to school to get certified in, in medical nutrition. So, you know, well, well, well after I graduated. Mm-hmm. Um, so nutrition exercise, you know, we learned very little about exercise types of exercise, what's best, you know, um, sleep, unless you're a sleep medicine you know, certified, you learn almost nothing about sleep other than we should get a lot. And it's important. Mm-hmm. Um, Four is um, pharmacology and we learn pharmacology. It's such an important part, except for menopause mm. you know, medicine that where medicine and menopause meet is really a failure for mm. most women. And so, you know, so when you go to your healthcare provider, they don't know anything about nutrition, anything about exercise, anything about how to get you to sleep other than giving you a sedative. 
um, which is sometimes a good short-term answer for some acute situation, but you should never use those long-term, you know, you should be sleeping on your own. Yeah. Um, and nothing, you know, and then very little about menopause that is really helpful. And so, and then the final piece of the puzzle is, you know, possible supplementation or other aids that might be helpful. So like cognitive behavioral therapy, you know, has been helpful for hot flashes. Um, hypnosis uh, done the right way, you know, clinical hypnosis has been shown to be helpful. Um, and what medications outside of hormones might be helpful for hot flashes. So when you take hormones away, then we have to treat each symptom on a case by case basis. So, you know, for pay, for doctors who haven't kept up with the literature, don't know, you know, really what the latest recommendations are. A woman may come in with menopause and walk out with five prescriptions, one for her blood pressure, one for her thyroid, one for her, not sorry, one for her blood pressure, one for her cholesterol, one for her anxiety, one for sleep. And one for hot flashes when you yeah. could have just given her estradiol and she's good to go. Yeah. Ooh, that's such a good point. Okay. I love, I mean, just the sleep conversation is so huge and the hot flashes that disrupt the sleep and insomnia and all of those things that can make somebody feel like they're crazy when they're going through it. Mm -hmm. And I'm so glad that you touched on that. So tell me a little bit, you have talked about using fiber as an indicator of, of health and, and where you are. I mean, let's talk about fiber. Just tell me your thoughts sure. on fiber. So when I talk about, you know, nutrition and where women should probably be paying attention that can make the biggest impact, there's some few key nutrients that I like to have people take a look at. And the first and foremost is fiber, making sure that you are getting adequate fiber in your diet. Fiber is what feeds the gut microbiome, soluble fiber. Insoluble fiber is what pulls water into the gut and kind of things along quicker. Um, fiber also, both fibers also slow the absorption of, of, of sugars from our gut into the bloodstream, that and fat together do that. And so most, um, women in menopause are only getting about 12 grams of fiber per day, mm -hmm. and we should be getting 25 or more. And yeah, mm -hmm. I push myself to 35 a day. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so, so fiber and that will go so long to help, you know, so far to help with because foods that are rich in fiber. Now I'm not talking about a supplement. I'm talking about foods rich in fiber. Mm -hmm. Also we're rich in micronutrients and other things, you know, the yep. second is magnesium, like paying attention to what foods are rich in magnesium and are you getting enough in your, in your day? Mm -hmm. uh, third is, is not something we want to add, but really just making sure we're not getting too much and that's added sugars. So sugars added in cooking and processing, not fruits and vegetables. So, you know, my nutrition professors would be like, Mary Claire, nobody gets fat eating blueberries, you know, right. like, like <laughs> you have to eat a lot of them, but it's, you know, blueberry, you know, it's just a, an example, you know, berries are packed with anthocyanins, which are natural antioxidants and anti-inflammatory components. They have you know, anything that's colorful. And I, we always say eat the rainbow and the Galveston diet, because each color represents a different medicinal property in the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and are they rich in fiber there? You know, the sugars absorb much slower um, in your bloodstream, therefore lowering those insulin levels and keeping leptin and ghrelin working in your favor, which are the hunger and satiety hormones. And so, um, so magnesium, fiber, um, omega-3 fatty acids, that's another one to make sure you're getting one good source of omega-3s every day. Um, vitamin D about 90% of my patients are deficient in vitamin D I believe for that. reasons. We don't absorb it very well anymore. We're protecting our skin, you know, from the sun mm -hmm. we are, um, and it's just such an, it is a hormone and it's 
important in so many functions in our body. And so I, I pretty much recommend a vitamin D supplement for everyone. It's hard. If you stay below 4,000 a day, you're not going to become toxic. The vast majority of people you can become toxic. So people who've been given a prescription and they just get it filled and filled and filled without rechecking their levels can become vitamin D toxic, but it's pretty rare. Mm. Um, so those are, those are my top, um, collagen is something not for everyone, but gosh, if you have osteoporosis or osteopenia, yeah. there are certain types of collagen that have been shown to help grow bone. So I'll recommend a specific collagen for that. If skin, this is more vanity, but if lax skin is your issue, there's a, a varicel collagen. That's one that Galveston diet sells. That's why I started, <laughs> um, has been shown to be helpful for that. It's also a decent source of protein, five grams per scoop. Um, and, you know, making sure you're getting enough protein in your diet, yeah, your muscle mass to keep it strong, to keep it fed. Um, and doing that resistance training is so important. I was about to ask about that. So you're a big fan of making sure that women are doing probably more strength training than and I think a lot of women want to do cardio, right? So, so yeah, we kind of grew up in that aerobics mm -hmm. era. I did. So I'm 54 mm -hmm. and it was all, all my exercise in my twenties and thirties was to be thin. Let me be clear. Right. Okay. Yeah. And it was like, everything was about being thin and, and I got a lot of emotional, you know, reward for looking good in a bikini or looking good in my skinny jeans mm -hmm. and all this stuff. And if I could go back and just knock that girl upside the head and be like, you're an idiot <laughs> and you need to hit the gym and start lifting some weights, right. you know, now I'm paying the price for all of that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with weak muscles and weak, you know, weak potential bones. And, and I just wish that we could change the language about around what is healthy and, and stop making it about mm -hmm. someone's perturbed view of what is physically attractive and make it about being strong and kicking people's asses. Yes. Yeah. You know, lifting grandbabies at 80 and climbing mountains and doing all the fun stuff mm -hmm. instead of being prepped and chronic and worrying your children and grandchildren about your chronic disease. That is, you know, that's what we focus on in my clinic. I'm so glad you said that because if I could go back to myself in my twenties and thirties, who I was a runner and I was training for all the half marathons and oh, I trained never, until five years ago, forget right, it. Right. I you never know. did the strength training. And so now I'm a shade, a little over 40 and I'm really trying to make sure, cause it's harder to build muscle when you're over 40, but it's such an important focus. Like you said, for all of those risk factors. So, and, and longevity is still important. I don't want to negate mm -hmm. that, right. you know, but you know, there's four pillars of exercise that women have got to hit strength, cardio, balance, you don't want to fall and break balance, um, and stretching for yeah. shortening everything as I'm sitting here, yeah. <laughs> it's out right now. Yeah, no, I, I love yoga because I, I think of it as I want to be the grandma that's able to get up and down off the floor, right. Lifting the kids and doing yes, exactly. And all the other things. So yeah, I'm 100% on board. Can you give a little bit of information about what you are working on for your next book? So, you know, the book was, is being written. So the Galveston diet was more about lifestyle and nutrition. There's meal plans. And, you know, I, I talk about hormones in there, but I just really touched the surface, but you know, what people were begging me for is a more comprehensive guide to, you know, I want to provide explanation of the state of the state. Like, how do we get to where we are today? Why do you go to your doctor? And they're like, I don't do hormones or you're going to get cancer just so that you understand it's not an individual's real fault. This is a systemic issue and mm -hmm. we all have to work together to fix this. And then the end of the book is, you know, the middle of the book is all about hormone replacement therapy, your options, what we know, mm -hmm. where we've been, you know, what the 
and you know, what, what, what I choose for my own patients and how I counsel them so that people can get a feel for what that's like. And the final is I'm going symptom by symptom, organ system by organ system from, you know, scalp to vag, <laughs> you mm-hmm. know, we're talking about every single and what estrogen depletion looks like for that organ, what the symptoms look like and what you can do about it. So say you don't Mm -hmm. choose HRT or you can't take HRT, what are other, you know, interventions that you can do so that you can live as well as possible. Mm -hmm. And so that, you know, someone in their thirties who's starting to look down this, this hot long hallway so they're ready and they understand and they're prepared and they could talk to their, you know, healthcare provider to get the best care that they deserve because we are, this generation is going to have to advocate at least the next 20 years till we get the next crop trained and out with the latest information. Yeah, for sure. Now tell me my favorite question that I have to ask everybody, the name of the show is sparking wholeness. So tell me if you could give one piece of advice to spark someone toward wholeness, what would it be? Let go of the scale as a measure of your health, of your well-being, of your of your how you feel about yourself. That number represents muscle. It represents bone. It represents sure some fat cells. It represents water, and it does not represent who you are as a person. And so, throw your scale away. Get a tape measure. It's a better measure of of what's going on inside of you. And make your trips to the gym about your mental health, about getting stronger, about not about being thin, not about how you're going to look because you're just going to be disappointed. You know, learn how to love that body that God gave you. And we're all different and we're shaped different Mm -hmm. and that's okay. And it's about this body. You know, I want to be playing tennis and then go to sleep and not wake up. I don't expect to live forever, but I don't want that last 10 years to be misery and disaster for Mm. everyone. That's good. Yeah. Now, where can people get your book, find out more about you? And can they, I mean, are you still taking patients right now? Yes. Um, There is quite a waiting list, but we are about, we're working on hiring a, you know, another, another healthcare provider in my office. Mm -hmm. I'm also starting to train other healthcare providers on how I do things so that, you know, I have patients flying in from, from other countries Mm -hmm. to come to me, which is incredibly flattering. And I'm so honored, but it's ridiculous that Mm -hmm. they can't find anyone Mm -hmm. near them who is going to give them quality healthcare. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we're working on that. Um, the book is available everywhere you buy books. We also have the online program, which is how we really started. And if you prefer to learn with videos and, you know, integrative instruction, instead of just holding a book, then the online program might work better for you and everything. Our blogs, I have tons of information on menopause, how to advocate for your doctor, like downloadable worksheets, challenges, all at galvestondiet.com. Great. I will add that to the show notes. That's amazing. Are you located in Houston? Are you outside of Houston? You're outside of Houston. Okay. I'm, I'm in East Texas. I'm in Tyler. I was in Dallas for a long time now in Tyler, so I'm not that far away from you. So any Texas listeners, this is great to know. Yeah. Yeah. My clinics in Friendswood, just South Houston. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on the show and for taking this time. And I know you've got a lot going on. And so I appreciate this conversation. I know this benefits me selfishly (laughs) and so many of the listeners. So thank you so much. You're so welcome. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze. And I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. 
have a fabulous week.